Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Today, we're joined by the CEO of Buffini & Company, Dermot Buffini. You've heard him on the podcast before, and I can tell you I am taking my life in my hands today. I have the brothers Buffini in the studio together to talk business. I might be a line tamer. I may have a chair and a whip. There's a good chance I'm not going to make it out of the studio today alive. Dermot, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Great to be here. And Brian, welcome to your show. Oh, it's always nice to be on my own show. <laughs> Love having you on your show. Uh, I'm going to dive in here. Uh, you guys have heard Dermot before on the podcast, like I said, but we've got tons of questions from all over today on the subject of business. And uh, we're going to kick off with a question from Texas. Joe Cortez, how do you choose between multiple opportunities for your business that align with your values, goals, and your vision? Well, aim small, miss small is how they train the sniper. Aim for two targets, miss them both. I developed a phrase a few years ago that people would come to me and proposal after proposal, proposal, and I would just say, I just want you to know I'm over-opportunized at this time. And we face it at Buffini Company. We have right now, Dermot and I are working on the next five years of Buffco and our strategy and where we want to be. And we're over-opportunized. This is where you make mistakes. You make mistakes when you fall into opportunity. You make mistakes when you're not intentional. And it's, do I really want this? And the good news is, you know, for me, I've made mistakes. And so I know what they look and smell like. So I know when you're faced with that, you really got to say, okay, if this was really successful... Is that really what I'd want to be doing? And if it's just about the money, and I know this is the altruistic BS that comes out, especially in the book circuit. You know, it's not about the money and whatever else. Well, it's easy to say it's not about the money when, when you don't have it or you're looking for more. But I will say this. Money alone is not enough to sustain what it takes to pursue an entrepreneurial endeavor. Mm-hmm. You have to love parts of it. You have to love some of it. You have to love the idea of it. You have to love what it does for somebody there has to be something in it. If not, then it's a short-term quick hitter, mm-hmm. and it's something you're building to sell. And, and that's not where most people are. There's certainly businesses that are built to sell, and you don't have to love it. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the type of business where you're going to own it, live it, run it, you'd better want it. So I really think the enemy, the best is the good. Mm-hmm. You have to ultimately pick the very best opportunity. And it's like if all these things considered – and they all worked out, which one of these businesses would I want to be in every day? What work do I want to be doing every day? And then as best you can, you pursue that one. But you pursue it with all vigor, and then it's skin and hair flying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dharma? Yeah, as Brian said, we get approached an awful lot and have been approached for numerous years with people who are like, we should do something together. This would be fantastic. And, and it's exciting because it really scratches the entrepreneurial itch, right? Yeah. It's like... It also is exciting because a lot of times in the day-to-day of your business, it's easy to be like, mm, you know, maybe you should do something different. That's a grind, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, everything's it's a grind. Yeah? It's work. And so, you know, a little bit of our process is to really look at it and say, does this align with who we are as a company? Like mm. our core competency for 22 years is helping people. And so if it falls inside of our core competencies of what we're good at, then we'll take a look at it. Then to look at it from the framework of, okay, does this help our customer win? Does this help our company win? And is it also aligned with our mission of impact and improve the lives of people? And mm-hmm. the bottom line is if it doesn't impact and improve the right. lives of people, it's, we're not interested. And we've had people waving huge, yeah. huge amounts of money under our nose, whether to acquire our company or for us to acquire something else or to partner and be strategically aligned. Yeah. And 
If we had it last doesn't. week. Yeah. We had it last week. <laughs> right. We had a company it's call us, and we were on a conference call. It's a, a real up-and-coming company. They've done an incredible job, and they wanted to approach us. We've heard great things about the Phoenix company. We want to get our product into your hands and into your customers' hands, and we understood the opportunity. And the first question I had for them was, who is your ideal candidate? They wanted to work with real estate agents specifically. What's your ideal candidate look like as a you know in the real estate space? And the lady said, anyone with a credit card. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Disaster gone, done. Great, next question. Now, her title was Chief Revenue Officer, so again, that's yeah. kind of her focus. Mm-hmm. But then we describe who we are, what we do, and who our yeah. customers are, and why they're different, and why they're doing well. Mm-hmm. And the lady then said, well, I'm kind of being facetious. Well, sure, I get that, but at the end of the day, that is the criteria. And we don't align on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, therefore, it's not somewhere we can align together even with an yeah. outside organization because our values are separate. Uh, the one yeah. tip I'd give, because we like to give methodologies as well here, is don't let your need dictate your vision and your goal, you know, and, mm-hmm. and your partnerships. And say, yeah. okay, we're underfunded, we're undercapitalized, payroll's coming, this and that and the other. That's like, uh, I'm lonely, you're lonely, <laughs> let's get married. Great. Yeah. <laughs> you so know don't I mean? do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, see? marital advice as well there you go let's go let's do it we nice. just cover it all good, here good advice nice. Buffini Brothers what else do you want to know already lost control of the interview <laughs> completely Terry, Suzanne and McKinney, Texas this is kind of related how do you find the balance between the emotional investment we make in our clients which makes us good at servicing their needs and building relationships against losing ourselves in our work and reaching burnout mm. so well, as a man who has fried himself on multiple occasions, <laughs> mm-hmm. because the one thing that's a guaranteed in my life, you've been around this a long time, I'm 23 years at this now, Mr. Buffini, by the way, mm-hmm. is there's not enough of me to go around, and no matter what I do, I can't, not only can I not please all the people, I can't satiate all the appetites, you know, from the thousands of requests we get for speaking engagements. If I do a meet and greet at a seminar for three hours, we'll get complaints I didn't do it for four. Mm-hmm. And so... I have a burning desire to serve. We have a culture that loves to serve. But there's a big difference between serving and pleasing. Mm-hmm. And one is values-based and one is insecure-based. Mm-hmm. And I've dealt with both of those things. And so, as I've said many times, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. You've got to make sure you take care of it. There's a great book called Boundaries, Henry Cloud. And I think at the end of the day, we have to have boundaries with our business. We have to have boundaries with our customers. We have to have boundaries for ourselves so that we don't burn out. I, I've said to Darren many times, you know, I love what I do. I mean, I'm the boss. I own the business. I'm doing what I feel God put me on the air to do. I do it pretty well. It has a huge impact on people, and we do it profitably. Mm-hmm. So how in the world can I get burnt out? Right. I mean, you think about it. It's like everything I want is laid out for me. How in the world do I get burnt out? I get burnt out because I, I don't manage myself sometimes. And so right. th- that's the deal. And you have to have boundaries with your customers, boundaries with your business. And boundaries for yourself. I'm a work in progress on that. I'm fighting for that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better at it all the time. And the more you experience the negativity of your own judgment, the more systems and structures you'll put in place Makes sense. to protect yourself. You know, Put a limiter on the, uh, on well, the Maserati. Uh, so here's a tip. There's no limits on the Maserati, by the way. <laughs> but I'll give you an example. My executive assistant, Jeanette Perez, when it comes to my calendar, has to be my boss. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it has to be that she is empowered to tell me no. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I know you want to help this guy, and I know you want to take this meeting, but we have to say no to this guy. And you have to build that kind of relationship, and you have to have that kind of humility yep. if you're going to do what you need to do. And so you've got to put those boundaries in place, and then you've got to honor them. 
Dermot, do you have a follow-up on that? You know, the boundaries and knowing your limitations and what comes first and having a boss and you make your decisions before you have to make them. You know, we had a gentleman on one of the Takeover Tuesday called Mike Foster, and he helps people with this emotional fitness and how do you get healthy. And what he said was, and he's worked with thousands and thousands of people and leaders all over the world, and he said, you know, the best leaders are very strategic in their self-care mm-hmm. and the prioritization of that. So for me, for instance, coming to work yesterday, I might have been a little bit amped up from the weekend and the busyness of life and heading into meetings yesterday. And in the middle of the meeting, I realized I need to take a break because I'm driving the car faster and faster and faster and somebody's going to <laughs> end up possibly uh, getting run the, over. Under the fender. But I've gotten to the stage where now, because of being intentional, I know what it looks like in order to take care of myself so that I can take care of others. Mm-hmm. And it has to be in that order. And it's not authentic if you're running no, around. You've done a great job with that. you know. Yeah. But it's not natural. And I think if yeah. you're a people pleaser... And I think most people are. And it's a service industry where you're like, I want to be there for my customer. And you find your identity in it. Right. And then you're secretly resentful because you're like, you know, like our mother used to say, oh, just one time like I'd love to have somebody serve a dinner up to me. You just, know, I'd like to have it handed yeah. to me. And then you go, what would you like, ma'am? I'll make you a dinner. And she's like, oh, God, no, I'll do it. And yeah. so yeah. at the end of the day, the priority for me is self. It's not selfish. Yeah. But like, what are the things that I need to do in order to take care of myself, to give myself the first fruit of the day my effort, my energy, the things that are going to fuel me so I can take care of others genuinely yep. nice. and not last. So myself first, fill my tank, and then ultimately, as you said, like with Jeanette, I do the same with Kristen, is like schedule the time, don't compromise it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's got to happen. And then after that, it's family, and after that, it's work. Mm-hmm. And that's the priority for me. And here's what I can tell you. It sounds odd coming out of your mouth. It doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. It sounds mm-hmm. self-serving. I have a hard time communicating that, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say this. When I don't follow that format, I end up in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I'm not good for Beverly, <laughs> and I'm not good for the kids. Yeah. And it turns out then I'm not easy to work with, mm-hmm. which no one's ever actually said. We'll get to that. I think that's I mean, a no one later. No one has survived. I have a list. Actually. <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be a form of self care today. I'm going to get a lot off my chest today. This is great. Anybody else want to join me? <laughs> it's great. I think it's a simple formula. I think it's really hard to follow through on, and we betray ourselves and violate it all the time. And and the good news is, if you can do that, that means you can take it back yep. and you can start over again. It's just having a routine that you said, "Where did I skip? Okay, I'm going to go back to doing these things." So nice question. I think it's a great question. Yep. This question comes in from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Brad Nall, can you share practical advice and how-tos for the way you inspire your culture and become one of the top places to work in San Diego? Mm. We all want that for our teams. And just because they're, of course, the two lions are in the room, I have to say this. Three years in a row, we've received San Diego's top place to work out of 1,530 employers. It's pretty amazing. So that's an applicable question based on what you guys just said. So practical advice for how to inspire culture. Mm -hmm. So you say it starts with you, put your own oxygen mask on first. What next? Well, I think, you know, establishing the company, we have very clear mission. Mm. Impact and improve the lives of people. We have very clear core values at our company. And everybody knows them. They're on everybody's badge. They're written on the walls. And Dermot has the company recite them at every all hands meeting it's a big deal it's a big deal it's not some mission statement on a wall right or you know come fly me the friendly skies or whatever and it's maybe not mm-hmm. adhered to by the executives mm-hmm. and the people then who are on the front lines don't feel supported in it so you know the thing is the accountability runs north and south mm-hmm. here's the thing it's very clear what we do it's very clear why we do it and then it's clear how we do it 
that's what the core values are all about, right? And so we practice servant leadership, excellence, our minimum standards. You know, these are values that we have that we communicate throughout the company. Right. So I think the next thing is then it's lived out. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say this. Buffini Company, I think at its peak of employees, we had 405 mm-hmm. people or whatever else. When I ran a real estate team with five people, it was a hell of a lot harder mm-hmm. than running a company with 400 people. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that when you're running a small family business, which is what most people have, and most people have as businesses, that's the dominant style of business, in, certainly in North America, what happens is you get connected personally. You know, Marjorie's son is off the rails. You get to know about that. Someone's right. having financial difficulties. You really know about that. You end up in conversations, and so the boundaries and the lines can get blurred. And then on top of that, when you're running a small business, you tend to be chief dog and bottle washer. You're doing a bit of everything. And so sometimes you'll read these business books and so on and so forth, and it's like, that works great if you had a 1,000 employees, but mm. how do I apply that? The HR department, oh, that's me. The janitorial department, oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> facilities management, that's me. Receivables, that's me. You know, all that stuff. So I think at the small business, what I know now that I didn't know then is that it's even more important mm-hmm. to have these things established for the small business. You have to have the lines of demarcation set up mm-hmm. and roles and responsibilities, job descriptions. Here's what everybody's role is. And then here's the mindset is on occasion, okay, we're doing a, a company Christmas party. Everybody's got to dig in. We're doing this. I expect everybody to, you know, to swarm to this particular scenario. We have a crisis. Something happens. Hey, you know, the kind of culture we are, the kind of company we are, we want you digging in. And that's, you know, if you love that type of deal, you'll do well here. But if you're like, uh, no, I punched the clock at five o'clock and I'm out the door, mm-hmm. this probably isn't your kind of place. And then it starts with the recruiting to that. Mm-hmm. You want to recruit people to what you're all about. And you want to let them know the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs. And many times, here's, and I'll let you take it from here, Darren, but I found when I was a small business, I was always, you know, I'd spend my time selling somebody. Mm. You know, you've got to come in and do this and do this. And sometimes I'd take on the burden of the problem or the difficult thing or whatever else. And I didn't realize that when I told people up front in the interview process, like, here's a scenario that could happen. Mm. And there were certain types of people who were lit up by that. Right. And they actually wanted to contribute and help to that as opposed to me constantly covering for them. You know, what we typically do in a small business is we hire people we know first, Mm -hmm. and it's families and friends and this and that and the other. Not that that's a bad decision, but ultimately the roles and responsibilities have to be clearly aligned or you get in trouble. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot goes into it with a culture. Either way, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you're going to have one. Yeah, right. You either decide on the culture you're hoping for, and a culture is just a weighing scales to me of what's actually taking place. Mm -hmm. And... You know, we've talked about it before, like the line between cult and culture. Mm-hmm. And a cult is, well, this is what we do. Here's how we do it. And everybody's expected to toe the line. Nobody thinks, yeah. You need a police force to do that. Right. And then it turns into, aha, you're not doing it. You're not living out the, mm. you know, our, our core values as a company involve a lot of personal responsibility and participation and grace. You know, we practice things. We don't perfect things. We're focusing on excellence, not perfection. Mm-hmm. But I think as well, like some of the practical ways you know you're referring to the union tribune survey you know we've always thought we've had a good culture but what we did was in engaging the union tribune is open our doors and let them come in and talk to each member of staff you know the average participation of an organization is typically about 60 percent we had 88 percent and when i heard that i was like that's either really good or a lot of people really want to get stuff off their chest yeah. and so you learn a lot people ask direct questions 
but ultimately it's intentional and at the same time is I think where if we have to police it and enforce it then it's not a culture and right. it's about participation and, mm-hmm. and inviting other people into it and they get to choose we hope for this but they get to choose it so the things that we do are like everybody in our company gets a birthday card mm-hmm. signed by the leadership team with a little gift certificate and the truth of the matter is it's a pain in the butt to see those things sometimes when I come in and there's a stack of birthday cards on my desk and it's like Oh, one more thing to do. And then I write them and I sign them and I write a note in it. And we all do this. Mm-hmm. And we're all too busy to do it. Mm-hmm. But then it means so much and it's a little thing. So writing birthday cards, we do lunch and learns. We try and invest in our culture and live it and not just talk about it and give people an opportunity to grow themselves. Mm-hmm. And then just pushing the responsibility of the culture to people. We have a fun committee who decide, hey, this would be fun. Because fun is a big part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, one of our other parts is we want to win as a business. We want to win for our customer. We want to do a great job. But engaging our team members in it, it just makes it more, it's theirs and they have a sense of ownership. Our job is to set our intention and what our hope is for the business and then allow others to pick it up and run with it. And and so anyway, it makes sense. It is a big deal though. There's a couple of questions that came in about, uh, you know, bringing on staff. One is kind of more specific from Jane Knowlton-Smeyer. Jane, I hope I got that right. La Habra Heights in California. How do you know when you need to add staff? And then Valesa Linian had a follow-up, which was, what are your top tips for hiring and training great talent for your team? So they're kind of connected. Mm-hmm. So when to bring them on, and uh, what are the top tips for bringing them in and then for training them? Well, <laughs> I always say you normally hire before you're ready, mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to understand. I mean, in real estate, I remember hiring my first assistant, and I was... I would say this, the most terrifying employee decision of my life. Mm. And I have employed over 4,000 people Mm. in my career. Mm. The most terrifying person I ever heard was my first assistant. And I was petrified because now all of a sudden I was responsible for someone else's income. Mm -hmm. Which, when I explained that statement to my bride, she went, you're already responsible for someone else's income. Ours. Yeah, right. And I went, ooh. Uh, So... And I'd say the second hardest person I ever hired was my second assistant in real estate. Mm -hmm. But it's very comfortable to do the admin work. It's very comfortable to do the busy work because mm. it makes you feel productive. Mm. You have to align your job description with the compensation it rewards in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're a salesperson, that's the highest form of compensation there is. Mm-hmm. And so when you do admin work, you are now switching out of the role of being yep. a salesperson to do admin work. Mm-hmm. So now you are your own assistant. And most salespeople are lousy at admin. Mm-hmm. Not everyone, but most. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't hire yourself if a job appeared in a newspaper or an online service for an admin person. You wouldn't be even the kind of person to apply for it. Mm-hmm. But what do we do? We do the admin work because it makes us feel busy. It's not as scary to go get staff and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to get about it. I think you certainly want to do your homework ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And the second question that Valesa brought up is, you know, hiring and, and training. The old carpenter says you measure twice and cut once. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to hiring, you measure five or six times. Mm -hmm. And right now, at the time we're in the studio, it's a very tight employment market. Mm -hmm. There's over 7 million open jobs in America alone, 500,000 up in Canada. Mm -hmm. The fact is, it's a tight job market. And so your vision, your mission, what you're trying to build, that's important. I think the second thing is you've got to really work on the front end and you've got to take the next steps and don't overlook things. Mm -hmm and have the interviews and spend the time and really dig in. Our members in our coaching program, we have all kinds of you know manuals and things built out on how to do an interview and how to hire someone, how to find somebody and, and all that kind of good stuff. And it would take hours to go over here mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in, in the podcast. But I think 
number one is you got to make sure you you measure several times on the front end don't let your need cloud your judgment and then the next thing is you got to train mm-hmm. and that is the hardest thing in the world mm-hmm. so for example at Buffini Company, we are having to develop our own training programs, but we've also gone outside mm-hmm. to bring other organizations in, even in our core competencies. And we're the best small business coaching company in the world. The numbers are there. The results are there. But we've brought in other coaching consultants to help us with our coaching business. Makes sense. You have to bring in help. You have to. And so, for example, if somebody owns a real estate company, we just built a brand new training program called Pathway to Mastery. And it's just the fundamentals. And if somebody has a team, you'd better have them trained. If not, you get this. Yeah, you got a second. You got a second. You got a second. And you deal with the symptoms. And the symptoms are what swallow up a small business. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you're not replaceable. Nobody can do it like you. And in the early stages, you feel very vital because you have all the answers. Eventually, you'll be very burnt out because you're the only one who has the answer. So training and outsourcing. Buffini and Company outsources its training. And we're a training company. Mm. Uh, but, you know, for those, especially in a real estate and small business, whether it be our peak producers training program we've built or our pathway to mastery that's just come out, you know, those are great ways to get people up and running. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, and there's different seasons of it, isn't there? Like, as you said earlier, it's like when you want to get going, you just want to move and you need some help. And there's also the trust factor of, can I afford this? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, how do I evaluate that, right? And then the opposite of that is, well, if I don't do it, what's the cost? You know, if I'm being paid $40 an hour, as you said, doing $10 an hour work, well, eventually that dog's not going to hunt long term. No. And then if the goal is big enough, if there's a clear goal there Mm -hmm. and there's a budget and the margins allow it, then you can give yourself permission to go, okay, the green light is here. And as you said, there's plenty of people out there who there's lots of information on this to get an education about how do I do this? And it is always a tricky thing. And then, as you say, you have to transfer the trust to somebody else to say, you know what, you're better at this than me and let them go do it and let them make mm. mistakes and as you say, train. And I think like a lot of our clients have the advantage of having what we call a heritage profile where they know their gifts and their strengths and their abilities. Right. So for me, and it's always been when I'm hiring an assistant or an executive or somebody who's going to work closely with me, it's understanding A, my skill set, mm-hmm. what's my value proposition, what's the highest and best use of my time, but then having complementary gift set beside that. And then another thing was a couple of years ago, we'd gotten busy and we had gotten kind of to the spot where we were going to agencies to find talent. Oh my gosh, yeah. And that's kind of like going to online lead generation. Mm-hmm. You're not taking responsibility mm-hmm. for the quality of your mm-hmm. leads. Mm-hmm. And it was also hugely expensive. We were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and unfortunately, how it works is you send it into an agency and they send you the same talent regardless of the job. Yeah. This is the list of people I have. Yeah. And then you have people in and you realize, hold on a second here, we're just keeping up with the momentum of the business. Yeah. So we took back the responsibility of that hiring mm-hmm. and said, we're going to take responsibility, try to slow down and think, what's the right candidate? And now we have full-time recruiter. Full-time recruiter. And mm-hmm. also, we have to onboard people. And you never know who you're getting. Everybody, mm-hmm. it's dating and marriage. You know, you, mm-hmm. Everybody's normal until you get to Pe- know them. Yeah, right. They seem normal in the interview. I want to point out, can we take a moment here for a second? I want to take us back. I know where it's going. I I want to go back 17 years ago. Mm. One of our seminal hires. Yeah, you need a couple of those, don't you? This person walked in, Mm -hmm. flip flops, Mm -hmm. capris, Mm -hmm. a Jimmy Buffett type shirt, Mm -hmm. like enough chest hair to make Sean Connery embarrassed. Yep. And then the Mr. T starter kit with like these, Mm -hmm. like look like they were the the necklaces Mm -hmm. from Braveheart's Mm -hmm. era. Mm hmm. And in walks David Lally. Surely you didn't hear him. And the person who held the interview <laughs> had one comment. I said, this guy's great. He's got a great character. Check him out. Tell me what you think. And the only comment I got from the person was, 
did he know this was a job interview? <laughs> but, you know, we were young and desperate, so Lally got hired. And yeah. now he's like termites. He's in the woodwork. We he can't is. get rid of him. Yeah. yeah. He's also managed to grow with the company. Which sure. is, and I think that's another part is like the attitude and spirit of somebody who's right. like game and saying like, yeah. hey, I might not know when I came for a job interview today, but yeah. I am ready to go. What do you need me to do? <laughs> I've been fumigated a few times over. <laughs> <laughs> <you> Forced growth. <laughs> Uh, Stephanie Alberg in mm. San Francisco, California. Mm. How are you, Stephanie? She's been with us in our coaching program for many years, yeah. and I met Stephanie probably 15 years ago. She sent us in a question, best compensation recommendations for team members. So this is kind of piggybacking on what yeah. you guys just talked about there. The compensation recommendations for team members and developing their job descriptions, what's expected of right. them. Right. And we'll actually be producing some more on this uh, for you very soon here, Stephanie, specifically for members like you. I would say a couple of things in regards to this. You're a part of the network of our very best clients, and I think a great thing to do would be to brainstorm a little bit with some of your peers. The big thing for a, a small business owner like yourself is if you're generating the lead for people who are on your team, then the compensation should reflect accordingly. So I'll, I'll give you a, a very specific real estate example. I know there's folks listening who are not in real estate, but I'll give it to you. The typical broker in America today, the split is 85-15 where the agent gets 85% of the commission, the broker gets 15 mm. The typical split with a team leader and a buyer's agent, whatever else, is 65-35, where the team leader is keeping 65%. The reason for that 50-point delta is because typically the team leader is generating the lead. And so that dynamic right there is something that's very, very common right now in the marketplace. And that's the value of a lead. So the value of the lead, and we've talked about this for 23 years, the value of the lead is very high. If you're producing the leads for your team, the value of that lead is 50%. Mm-hmm. And then the splits beyond that. That's what the market says today. When it comes to admin staff and other staff, now you're at the mercy of the market. And you're up in a pretty high rent district up there in Northern California, Stephanie. So you have to fight through the dynamics of what the market will bear, certainly for admin staff as well. Uh, just a big tip I'm going to give you here, and again, I'll try not to wade in and get on my hobby horse, but I have three kids currently in college, so I know how much that stuff costs. And I will say, I personally am not the biggest fan of the American college system. The costs continue to escalate. Debt levels continue to rise appreciably. And I really don't feel, for the most part, there are exceptions to this and specialties and so on and so forth. But for the most part, American universities are not preparing people for the workforce. And that's a huge general statement I just threw out there. But, you know, I'm okay with my kids. My, I got two boys in college right now that are they're growing up and they're living away from home and there's value in that. And they're actually learning film and production and there's value in that because that's what they want to do. But I would say that people are not being trained for the workforce. Mm-hmm. We are certainly experiencing that based on what we have to do to train people in the modern marketplace. So one of the things that I think is enormously valuable is internship programs. And people who are in college are looking for a place to get practical experience. And if it works in concert then with the stuff they're learning in college, Mm. then I think it adds a lot more value. We have a very robust intern program here at Buffini Company. We have Murph, the intern, right there in the control room. And Murph was an intern that came in with a bunch of other kids. And at the end of his internship, we offered him a full-time position. And so there's a lot of people looking for work. There's a lot of very tech-savvy. There's a lot of these young folks are great to work with. They have great attitudes and great energy, and they're looking for experience. Mm-hmm. And that's another way to have a lower-cost program. There are people who have internship programs that don't pay, 
I'm not a big fan of that. I believe the labour is worth their hire. Mm -hmm. But that's a, another great little tip for somebody. Let's say you have seasons where you're wiped out and busy. Reach out to your local colleges and see who's looking for internships and work programs, and you may nice. be surprised to find some real talent. Nice. Michelle Cretion from New Hampshire had this question for you guys. What was your biggest obstacle you had to overcome working together, and would you change the way you handled it? Well, if the big question is working with family, you know, if you think about it, the vast majority of businesses in North America, I think there's 53 million small businesses. And of the 53 million small businesses in the USA, over 80% of them have family members working in them. So it's a very common dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so you take into your business any dynamics there is in your family. Mm -hmm. Very, very important to be extremely intentional. You know, Dermot's a pretty strong-willed guy. He's his own guy. He's had his own business. Our other brother Kevin's in the business. At one stage, we had five brothers working mm -hmm. in the business together. And here's the dynamics. I own the business, and I'm the main spokesman for the business. Mm -hmm. And so very, very complicated dynamic until you align a couple of things. What are everybody's gifts? Mm -hmm. And so Dermot mentioned the heritage profile. It's a great thing to have an independent view mm -hmm. of everybody's gifts other than what somebody thinks they're gifted at. Because you can get that where mm -hmm. people are, mm -hmm. you know, I could have been a pro tennis player, you know what I mean? Yeah, huh? Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is what's somebody gifted at. The second thing is what's the role. And I'm very big on job descriptions. I will say this to you. One thing Dermot and I do is we revisit my job description and his job mm -hmm. description every year. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that things have morphed and you end up having more on your plate than you should, and you end up in spots where you shouldn't be, mm. and we need help, and what's a priority and what's not. And the third thing then is the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, Dermot works for me. I'm the chairman of the board. Mm -hmm. Dermot's a fully empowered CEO. Mm. Dermot makes decisions. Dermot consults me, leans into me, but Dermot's fully empowered to make decisions without talking to me. Mm -hmm. And so it gets down to having that humility and that trust and that mm -hmm. confidence. Mm -hmm. And then over time, now we are passionate, fired up Irishmen. So we would have meetings and, you know, they coined a phrase around here instead of brainstorming, they called it mind bashing. I recall. <laughs> and so other people would be in the meeting and Dermot and I, ah, and then I think, and, yep, yep. and then you do this and you do that. And Dermot, oh, you do this and I do. And we, we'd come out, that was great, wasn't it? That was fabulous. And all the poor Americans are laying yeah. on the ground yeah. in the fetal position. <laughs> Yeah. So like, I go, okay, we might want to tone that down a bit. So you have to kind of figure out your own way and then your own family mm -hmm. dynamic yeah. and this and that and the other. And it's okay. Uh, there's times like, oh, hey, guys, sorry, I got a little ramped up there. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. got a little triggered there. Yep. Yep. And the big thing I think we have here is in many businesses, the leader or the owner of the business has created an oligarchy where people are terrified to speak up. The British made a, a comedy recently about the death of Stalin. And it's actually based on a true story. Joseph Stalin was so feared and so revered and so ruthless in how he went about his business that one day he had a stroke. And people were so terrified because if anybody witnessed him being weak off the Siberia or they were dead. And the chambermaid comes and then the head porter comes and then the man of the house comes and then they call in the Politburo... And they basically had the entire Politburo of Russia standing around Stalin, terrified to call a doctor. And it took them almost 24 hours to call a doctor. And when they did, they said, well, if you just call me a couple hours ago, I'm going to save them. And he actually died because of the fear the people had amongst them. Mm -hmm. 
when you're the leader, people are naturally fearful for their jobs. Mm-hmm. You can represent security to them. And with that comes, there's power and there's responsibility. Mm. So what happens is this, and we've witnessed this. We've consulted and helped many major companies and many major brands. We've witnessed great companies where they had a culture where people were afraid to speak up to the owner mm. or the boss. And it's a disaster. I would say I've almost erred on the other side where people, I think, are too free to speak up to me <laughs> at every bloody hand's turn. There's an awful lot of people at, at many levels in this company that can tell me no. Mm. I think that's one of the most important things. There's people who can tell me no. There's people who will question an idea. And a lot of times, you know, that can be frustrating because you, you have a, sometimes a bigger picture. Sometimes you have more information than everybody. Mm. And for me, I'm a guy who likes momentum. But I had to learn over time, no is the greatest gift you get. Now, I'm not interested in turning my company into the DMV. And so, okay, so we're going to have to roll up our sleeves. This is going to take more meetings. Yeah. This is going to take more effort. Moses doesn't come down the mountain. I have a vision. Now, everybody blindly follow me over the cliff. Mm-hmm. None of us is as smart as all of us. Mm-hmm. And we have to get contribution. We have to get influence. And so, Dermot is the CEO of the company. He has his role. He has his responsibility. And he has his leaders. He's fashioning for them to have their leaders. Mm. And we're right now at a strategic part of the company. I'm a consultant to Dermot, but ultimately Dermot's going to own the business model going forward. Mm-hmm. And so he knows he's working for me, and then I also have to humble myself to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important thing for working with family and working with anybody. Nice. Yeah. So, Dermot, for you, I mean, how's it been working in a family business? You know, I think what we do a pretty good job of is understanding that we're brothers mm. and then we're, we have a business relationship. And a lot of times those things can blur and you don't want to restrict that and you don't want to be tight about it but it's just a dynamic so I think we do a good job of being able to blend those two things and then there's also like mutual respect is one of our core values and and extending that to each other so Brian is he's a couple of years older than me and so well, many was, people don't know it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell as many people as I can possibly tell. This is the mutual respect yeah. you're talking about. But there's about. always that, that big brother aspect where you have an older brother looking out for you as a younger brother. And then it changes. Like mm-hmm. you evolve. You grow as men. And those things change. And Brian doesn't see me as the 16-year-old who was doing goofy stuff and <laughs> whatever else. And, mm-hmm. and to see who we are today as men and as fathers and in the business. And that's in the past. And we're responsible for our own growth. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately knowing what we both bring to the table and trusting each other for, mm-hmm. I know my gifts. He knows his gifts. I know my tendencies where I get stuck. He knows my tendencies where I get stuck. And to be able to check in with each other regularly to say, what do you think? And then also differentiate between what's our idea, what's a synergy, and what's a decision. And we're able to know when we're synergizing, when we're having a discussion about ideas, and then when we're having a business conversation. And even at times when, there's times when in a meeting, Brian and I will have a conversation where we will, you know, we'll use, like I'll say, Mr. Chairman, how do you feel about that? And that's kind of a cue for him to know, Mm -hmm. I'm moving into the chain of command right now, where Mm -hmm. I'm saying, at the end of the day, what is it that you see and what are you hoping for? Mm -hmm. And then to invite him into the world and, and ensure that are we headed in the right direction that you feel comfortable about? Yeah. Or do you want to have it? And so it's a real... Um, you you yeah. touched on something I think that's huge, which is I think we've done a great job of, is you have to see people for who they are and the role they're now in. And I think this is mm-hmm. key for everybody. When someone in our company, I mean, you've experienced this, David, when you've been put in a new role, mm-hmm. I don't view you as the person who was in the old role. Mm-hmm. And that's very important throughout an organization that you look with new eyes. And I Mm. think that's where the growth component is very important because people do grow into these new roles and they have to be honored as such. 
And I think that's a big deal, especially when you're dealing with family and relationships. And so you have to honor the position. And if the person's been given the chance to mm -hmm. do that, you have to not hold over things in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, we, when we were kids, you we all ran around with underpants on your head. You know what I mean? So it's like that snapshot would not be the thing you want to, you know, say well, that that's who you are for and, your and life. And it's also, you know, we'll be hardest on the people closest to us. Sure. You know, people closest to us will hurt you the most. Oh, boy. I mean, you haven't done need, in a while. We're going to need an intervention I want to get this off my chest. Um, <laughs> but it's also, it's also just because we're brothers doesn't give us a license to just on each yeah. other. It's like, yeah. or to go... Well, you know where you got that wrong. It's a privilege. It's like, I'm growing. I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah. And the last thing he needs to hear from me is, well, I told you so. You know, right. it's just, it's not beneficial. It's not helpful. And here's the other side of it. So we've talked all about the negative, because we've only addressed this, to be honest with you, in avoiding the negative. Mm. Once you have the roles, once you have the responsibilities, mm. once you see the person as who they are and who they've grown into being and where they can become. Right then it's awesome. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. We have great fun. Mm -hmm. And we'll go play golf. And the first nine holes sometimes were wrapped tight. It's an exorcism. It's an exorcism <laughs> of the business. <laughs> and then the back nine, Brian and Dermot are out in the golf course. Mm -hmm. And so it's fantastic because who knows you better? Who loves you more? Mm -hmm. And so it can be the greatest. You know, the word we, we have for team mm -hmm. is the Greek word tema, T-E-M-E. And tema is what the Greeks use for the word family. Mm -hmm. And family is the first team. And that's why when it's done right, there's nothing more powerful than it. Mm -hmm. We're actually a deadly combination in business together. No, that's a fact. You've seen it. Yeah. And we go that's into meetings, fact. and it's like bringing yeah. a, a shotgun to a knife fight. Yeah. Because we know where we're supposed to be. So you put all the safeguards in place to avoid yeah. the negative. But when it's done right, it mm -hmm. is a powerful force. It's that tema, and man, nothing can beat that mm -hmm. team. That's yeah. awesome. Summer Harrison, I hope that answers your question. Summer is in Texas. She had asked about, uh, you know, what are the the challenges that you have to overcome and, and just I, I think what you guys said there gives her lots of stuff to, to think about and reflect on Joanne Castro from Temecula in California just down the road from us here what words of wisdom do you have for those of us who are independent brokers well the key I'd say for anybody in this spot is you've got to get the self out of self-employed mm. um, we don't human beings don't do well alone and I know that's hard because there's a lot of loneliness is at the all time highest level that's been recorded but I think when you're in business, you've got to be around birds of a feather. You need to network. You need to connect. Mm -hmm. You need people who are like-minded. You need to find your flock and stay connected and brainstorm and synergize. Dermot is the best I've ever seen, mm -hmm. ever seen. You know, consultants often charge you enough to pay their fee. Dermot used consultants in a brilliant way because he finds people at a level beyond us, brainstorms with them, connects with them, builds a relationship with mm -hmm. them, and then eats the meat and throws away the bones. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you, you really want to find people at different levels and different skills and different applications. And no matter what, you don't want to go it alone. You know, the thing is, there's plenty of independent brokers right now. It's, it's more than half of the market. Hmm. And so there's plenty out there who have the same problems, the same challenges. And when you have someone on the journey with you, your pain and your problem is cut in half. And when you win, your joy is doubled. Nice. That's well said. You know, I think about this a little bit. If you want to go fast, go alone. Yeah. If you want to go far, go together. That's the old right. saying. But also, just from the, the standpoint of the focus of a broker, and I'd be interested in what you think on this, but I was thinking about it from the standpoint of, if you're a broker, think from the consumer's standpoint and then train the agents to that. Hmm. Like, what matters most? But then step out of that to the very, like, business is business. Now, as you run your broker, think of it like a business person, not like an agent. Mm -hmm. And then once that's established, then you can train to it. Mm -hmm. So you have people, 
equipped to go and do a great job for their customers and build relationships and provide great service. But then, as you said, to get away from the business of selling real estate to connect with other business owners and yeah. brainstorm with them on what's best practices. Yep. Chambers of Commerce, yep. you know, Le Tip, um, BNI. BNI. I mean, just connect, network, and we have obviously networking opportunity in our network, so it's very important. Yep. Mm. There's a question from Dane Pridgen. I feel like I could answer this one. My wife is currently stay-at-home considering return to the workforce. She has always been interested. Yes, I am now interviewing Go myself. <laughs> uh, she has always been interested in real estate and especially people. A nurse by trade, I've encouraged her to consider real estate as an alternative, mostly based on the info shared here. Would you happen to have any words to share for folks mm. re-entering the workforce in this field, starting fresh and... My answer would be the pathway to mastery or <laughs> check out. Uh, there's so much stuff that's yeah. out there from Buffini and company. I'm biased, Dane, because I've worked here a long time, but I haven't seen anything else that uh, would get you on the right path quicker or get her yeah. on the right path quicker. So anything well, to add to that? I think the big thing she just has to understand, you know, it's like you're the stay-at-home mom. I'll tell you a story. There was a lady. She had a great job in Washington, D.C., and her husband became uh, an elected official in D.C. They end up having three kids in a five-year period of time. And she decides to be a stay-at-home mom. So your stay-at-home mom, you know, she's doing that for six or seven years. She's by herself. She's watching, uh, you know, Barney. And, um, <laughs> she's, you know, you're watching all the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood and this and that and the other. And so they get a meeting. And there's a big dinner. And I think the governor of Virginia is at it. And apparently she's going to be sitting next to the governor of Virginia. And she is beside herself. She hasn't been dressed up in a long time. She hasn't been out in a long time. She's like, oh, my gosh, I've been talking with little kids. and this and So anyway, her husband said, look, you are a fabulous woman. You've got all this great wisdom. You've got all this great. You're going to be fine. So she goes to the big dinner. She's conversing with this guy on matters of public policy. She's talking about geopolitical issues she's handling herself brilliant she's having a good time but at one point in time in the dinner she looks up and the governor of virginia is staring at her and she can't understand what's wrong something's happened and they've been having this great conversation but she looks down and as she looked down she had taken his steak and cut it into tiny little pieces for him <laughs> so. Open wide. So here's the point. She just needs to know, great, you're getting back in the game. You got what it takes. Mm -hmm. You're going to be fine. If she's getting into real estate, the average realtor makes $8,500 their first two years in real estate. Mm -hmm. The average Buffini company person makes one twelve. So call our company and get started on the train and we'll get them down the path. Love it. This was great, gents. Thank you so much. I uh, survived barely (laughs) intact. Dermot, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. This is fun. It was fun and a huge help for so many people. There's more great answers to come exclusively for you Buffini insiders. So we get into the seven strategies Buffini and company uses to attract the best talent and be the top workplace in San Diego, including a special giveaway resource that we've built for you guys. I also asked Brian, what was the breaking point that pushed him to hand over the CEO position? So head over to the brianbuffinishow.com to become a Buffini Insider today and get all of this great next-level content. And until next time, here's Mama Buffini with an Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 